Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Join us for today's episode of the Utopian Realities Slope Save Life on Planet Earth Blog Talk Radio Show, bringing you solution bearers with practical, proven, scientific ways to help you eliminate global level of radiation and extinction level threats from your body and bringing forward the means to restore and sustain global waters, air, soil, and sentient life. Welcome. Good afternoon, this is Siava, also known as Lisa Wolf, your host. Welcome to the Utopian Realities, from concept to planetary restoration, slope, save and sustain life on planet Earth, Earth Aid Now, Friday, Solution Bearers Forum, where we bring you solution bearers who can help us to mend the sacred hoop of life. As always, listeners, follow the link to listen to the program, and to join the live chat page, phone 845-277-9359 with questions and comments. Thank you for joining Earth Aid Now Radio this Friday, June 2nd, as we continue with our ongoing live on-air solutions forum, focusing on Ocheti Sakowin's sovereignty and sustainability. Our guest today is Alex White Plum. In 2000... U.S. federal drug agents raided Alex White Plume's farm and destroyed his crop of industrial hemp before he could harvest the seed and got a court order prohibiting him from growing the crop, disrespecting the Oglala Sioux's sovereignty, and despite hemp not having psychoactive properties, the agents cited a 1968 federal anti-drug law prohibiting cultivation of cannabis-related crops. The 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals upheld the DEA action. White Plume and his Teospia tried raising alfalfa, barley, corn, horses, and bison, all of which yield little more than subsistence under harsh conditions. In 1998, the Oglala Sioux Tribe passed an ordinance to allow cultivation of low-THC hemp on the reservation. So in April 2000, White Plume and family planted industrial hemp on their farm on Pine Ridge. White Plume thought tribal sovereignty would enable him to grow the crop, but in August 2000, federal DEA agents raided his field and destroyed his crops. In August 2002, the U.S. District Attorney served White Plume with eight civil charges related to the hemp cultivation and a court order prohibiting growing the crop. On appeal, the 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals upheld the DEA while acknowledging its registration process could be burdensome and hemp might be a good crop for Pine Ridge. Elected Vice President for the Oglala Sioux Tribe in November 2004, Alex White Plume served till June 29, 2006, and upon impeachment of the tribal president, Alex served as president until the next election in November 2006. 
the film Standing Silent Nation, which I recommend everyone watch, tracks Alex and his family's effort to grow hemp, which he's likened to a new buffalo for the Lakota, a resource whose many uses from food to fuel to fiber could enrich their sovereign nation. Welcome, Alex. Thank you, Lisa. I sure appreciate you inviting me on your show. I'm happy to be here. Well, I very much appreciate your joining us. Um, and as I was telling you before we went on air, I like to uh, to start these conversations with uh, with a um, benediction. So I am going to start us off with a Haudenosaunee uh, Thanksgiving address. So. Uh, here we go. Again, welcome, Alex. Okay. And thank you for being a voice for the Standing Silent Nation. Why is this so important? I think the uh, reason for me it was important was I live in the poorest community in the poorest county in the United States, and we're just driving to do anything we can to dig ourselves out of poverty. And at one time we grew alfalfa, 
and it yield like $30 an acre. Uh, we tried wheat, looking at wheat, and it was $18 an acre yield. And, and, and when you get that kind of money, all you can afford to do is pay insurance and, and uh, the interest off your loan from the bank. So there's no way to come out of poverty. And we looked at hemp, and it was a new industry across America. I remember in, in 1998, when we first researched industrial hemp, there was uh, 1,635 stores across the United States that sold some form of hemp, either hemp T-shirts or um, the edibles weren't really here then. But most of them sold these glass bongs and they associated it with marijuana. Well, today there's over 100,000 hemp stores and, and people are generating huge income from industrial hemp. So we, um, at the very on-site, we, we wanted to be concerned with the environment. And we found out that hemp can clean the ground. It restores nutrients into the ground. It doesn't take away. And there's so many byproducts that could be used, especially the medicinal part of industrial hemp. But it's a cousin to marijuana. So um, the United States did a good job demonizing marijuana. It's uh, categorized as a class one drug. (laughs) And that just causes us to scratch our head and wonder, who's thinking and making this against the law when it's a useful plant. That's what cannabis means, is a useful plant. So we, uh, that, that was our whole purpose, was we didn't want to be living in raw poverty. Our whole family, uh, not one person in my immediate family has any kind of income. And, and, and we're just striving every day to exist. And we don't like living this way. We're beautiful people. We have our culture. We have our language. Uh, we strive to be a good relative, but the United States of America don't seem fit to recognize that. The um, research we did was in 1851, the United States came here and they created a treaty. They wrote a treaty with the Lakota people. And what that did was defined our territory, which is five states, South Dakota's in the middle of our 51 territory. And then in 1868, they came and they wanted a trail through our territory. And, and so that was with the Black Hills. And what happened was we uh, allowed them to use a land between the wagon wheels. We didn't say go a mile away and cut down all the forests or use all the water a mile away. It was just the treaty allowed the wagons to cross through what we know as the Thieves Trail, or people call it the Bozeman Trail. So we, uh, everything was stacked in our favor until we found out that the United States never keeps its word. It uh, became a nation of liars, thieves, killers, murderers. They killed our people off. And so that's a sad history. And so we said, well, maybe we can provide some form of healing where we can get along with America. Because today, across the United States, they treat Indian people that were not really Indians, we're not really tribes, but the original people, they treat us like ethnic minorities. They treat us like the way they treat black people, the way they treat Mexicans, Asians, on and on. When we have a superior standing because we're originally from here, so we should have a superior standing and respect instead of being treated as ethnic minorities. So all this history came to light and uh, it hurt our feelings. How can we work through a system when you deal with a country that all they do is take, take, take and, and never show any respect. So we're trying to heal. We're trying to 
improve our relationship with a greater American society. And, and it's, it's hard for that, us to do that because in our culture, we strive to be a good relative. We're not taught to hate anybody. So it's a real difficult situation that we're in and we don't want to hate. It, we can't do that. So we're, we're stuck in a, a nightmare of bad dealings. <laughs> yes. So were you surprised that um, the sovereignty didn't hold and that the, the DEA was was able to come in? And um... Yeah, in our research, we realized uh, back in 1890, there was a famous case. It's called uh, Crow Dog versus Spotted Tail. Uh, Crow Dog killed another tribal member from the Rosebud Indian Reservation named Spotted Tail. And Spotted Tail was uh, drinking whiskey and doing things that uh, uh, selling some of our young women. So Crow Dog didn't like that. So he got into argument with him and killed Spotted Tail. So they put him in Deadwood. That's where the federal jail was. And um, six weeks later, they opened the door saying, uh, we don't have no jurisdiction over you. And so in 1890, they came up with the Seven Major Crimes Act. And the mm -hmm. Seven Major Crimes Act, uh, that, that's when they assumed jurisdiction over our treaty land. And, and it's under Article One of the treaty. And so those Federal Major Crimes Act were designed against Indians and Indian people. But uh, America didn't realize it, so they're applying the Indian law against all Americans today. <laughs> but that's not our problem. In that Major Crimes Act, it doesn't recognize DEA, it doesn't recognize sheriffs, it doesn't recognize U.S. Marshals. The only people allowed to come onto a reservation to investigate crimes is the FBI. And so we, uh, we were just in a state of shock when the DEA led a team here. When they came and attacked our one-acre hemp field, we were seed herding. We were trying to collect as much seeds as we can, and we wanted to grow 300 acres as a family, not just myself as an individual. We took a spiritual sovereign act. So we, um, we uh, made arrangements to sell, and we did sell some hemp stocks. We never got to sell our seeds. Uh, they came when the seeds were um, uh, mature. You touch one plant and a thousand seeds will just fall on the ground. That's when they came and they call it eradicating, but to us it was our economic, they took our economic development. So um, that's, that, that, that's what it led up to. <clears throat> so there was no way to challenge them for coming on the land at that point? Well, we've done a lot of research um, in 1935 when they passed the original Marijuana Tax Act, which marijuana is a racist word. It's a discriminatory word. It, it seems like all the Mexicans are carrying marijuana with them. That's how it makes you feel. And there's a guy named Anslinger who introduced uh -huh. this at that time. And um, on Congress floor, I was reading some of the testimony, and Anslinger said, if your wife smokes marijuana, she's going to sleep with niggers. And, and, you know, these white guys, they wouldn't have nothing to do with that. So they instantly passed the Marijuana Tax Act. But in that, it excluded hemp. Hemp, you could still use it for bird food. Uh, it made reference to uh, that in that Marijuana Tax Act. So we, we were happy. So, oh, good, hemp is okay. Uh, it shouldn't be a class one. It's legal. Okay. And then in 1970, there's a guy named Noyega who was sending uh, drugs to America 
1970, they passed this uh, Control Substance Act. Mm-hmm. And in that Control Substance Act, it didn't criminalize hemp. It's basically the same thing as the Marijuana Tax Act of 1935. But the 1970 Control Substance Act became a law of general applicability, it's called. I guess that, that's allowed them to go into other countries. But they can't violate treaties. We have a treaty. We're different. We're not another country. So, so that's uh, the difference. In, in 1970, the uh, director of the DEA added hemp as a class one drug. It wasn't a law. It was added by the administration, which is illegal. The, he can't change the act of Congress uh, as administrator of the DEA, but he did anyway. And so that's what we're trying to challenge is why he had the authority to do that. But then we realized the DEA administrator can also take and uh, take drugs off the list, but they never do that. They, uh, I guess when they get elected in there and get all that high money and all that high profile, they, uh, they don't want to change anything. They'd rather keep things as they are. So we've done this research, and how can they come onto our treaty territory, which has been violated since 1851, 1868, and 1876 when they discovered gold? That's when the United States turned a blind eye towards our treaty. Article uh, 1 of the treaty states bad man. We have to turn bad man over. But if you look at Article 1 of the United States Constitution, Section 2B, it says Indians are sovereign nations excluded from all form of taxation. So that's right in the U.S. Constitution. In the United States Constitution, Article 6, it states that treaties are supreme law of the land. They'll never be changed or amended. So since um, 1876, the United States has been violating treaties. They don't keep their word. And I think this impacts them around the world. They uh, Around the world, they look at Americans as arrogant people that uh, don't keep their word. So we said, well, maybe with this hemp growing, we could come to a solution where people won't be looking at America as arrogant and uh, liars like they are looked at today. So uh, a lot of our research, we uncovered this, and, and we're just sitting here wondering why can somebody open these documents and read them and follow the rule of the law. America is supposed to be a nation of laws. And actually, what we found was there's too much laws. <laughs> Maybe that's why nobody's obeying them. <laughs> so where do things stand now with the, with the courts? and um, your ability to grow hemp? Well, we, um, we had a restraining order. We were the only family in the whole world that uh, had a lifetime restraining order never to grow industrial hemp for any purposes. And, and that was kind of uh, uh, funny in a sense because we know it's not a drug. But uh, uh, two years ago, I had two lawyers, um, Tim Perdoe from North Dakota, and, and uh, Mr. Johnson, Brandon Johnson, they were U.S. attorneys. They seen all the, the way uh, tribes were being treated, mistreated. So they both resigned as U.S. attorneys to support Indian country to try to bring justice. So uh, they took my case. I was the first Indian case they took on. And uh, they got the restraining order successfully uh, removed, taken off. So we're back to square one. Uh, in 2014, the Agriculture Act or the Farm Bill, 
uh, they call it, uh, allowed pilot project for people that wanted to uh, research hemp or some pilot projects who people wanted to farm. And at that time, the only state that authorized the hemp license was Oregon. And, and why can't I grow it when the United States already authorized one farmer in Oregon to grow hemp? So that was the rationale for rescinding the restraining order. And so, but our tribal council in 1998 passed a scientific ordinance and uh, separating hemp from marijuana so we could distinguish the two. They're real easy to distinguish. Uh, hemp is tall and slim like me, you know. Hey, I'm just kidding. And marijuana is short and kind of chubby and bushy, you know. That's like kind of like my, like my <laughs> sister-in-law's, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, they, uh, it's easy to distinguish. So we said, oh, well, the tribe legalized it and we're a sovereign nation. Plus, we have a solid treaty that uh, United States Congress passed and ratified it, and it was signed by the President of the United States. So we're, we're on legal footing. We, we, we said the treaty is the supreme law of the land, so we have every right to grow hemp. So we, uh, in 2000, was our first successful crop. We, uh, we were so happy. Our plants were 20, somewhere 24 foot tall and wow. seeds it was just i mean it was just magnificent and and we were worried too back in those days that was our first time so we was hoping oh i hope they don't none of this is marijuana and and get us all to prison because um it's 10 to 30 years per charge for my brother and my little sister and myself each so we uh we were worried and here the uh DEA sent it off to testing in their lab, and uh, it came back as zero THC, but it had traces of cocaine in the my hemp. Yeah, it had traces of cocaine. So uh, we we have magic hemp plants growing down here at Kiza Park. <laughs> what do you think caused that? Where, what do you think? Well, well, at the district court, it was Judge Batty who was the judge in Rapid City. He was a well-known Indian hater, and he, uh, yeah. as soon as they seen cocaine and uh, on my hemp, he glared at me, you know, like, aha, got you now. And, and but my lawyer jumped up, and uh, and then I also rolled my tobacco. I smoked drum tobacco, uh -huh. and I was rolling a, a cigarette, and uh, uh, the, a DEA jet uh, from Omaha, Nebraska, took a picture of me, and th that was uh uh, equipment that shouldn't be used against civilians. You know how you know a 600 miles away a picture you could see it, see me crystal clear. I was rolling a cigarette, and the U.S. attorney said, "Here's Mr. White Plume. He's ro rolling a marijuana joint." So again, Judge Body glared at me. You know, and I was getting nervous. And, and my lawyer was Bruce Ellison, and he said, "Mr. White Plume, what do you have in your shirt pockets?" So I pull out my drum tobacco, and they had the clerk blow up that picture on the wall and here you could see drum i was holding the drum tobacco and i was rolling a cigarette so uh then judge batty glared at the u.s attorney so oh i felt good you know but um that's how it started was judge batty uh, should have recognized the treaties that we do have a right uh the treaty has been winning in federal courts so especially the Badman clause article one Around that time there was an army recruiter came to the reservation uh trying to recruit Indian people to go in the army and he uh, raped one of our girls, one of our daughters here. And so she took him to court under Article 1, the Badman Clause of the treaty, and she won. So he got prosecuted and they settled with some money. So uh, he should have looked at the, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't like to use the word should. He could have used, 
you know, the case law when it came to me, but it was um, on day before Christmas on December 24th, he gave the uh, DEA a uh, Christmas present and, and, and put a restraining order on me and said that I, um, I was growing a drug, class one drug. And so we were just worried and that, that shut us down. And, and it went to appeals court and then appeals court uh, said this law was asinine. That's what one of the appeals court judges said, but only Congress can change this law. And so again, that confused us. How can the DEA administrator include hemp in there as a class one drug without Congress approving it? But I have to go to Congress to get them to change this law. And so we, uh, the federal laws and treaty laws are in our favor. But the court system, there's no justice for Lakota people in our court systems. And I, I can say that honestly today. Do you, um, a question, I mean, do you and your family, are, are you still, um, you're still enrolled members of the Oglala Sioux Tribe, which is a federally recognized tribe. Yeah. Yeah, there's all over. Part of the, the problem, isn't it? Yeah, there's it's over 500 treaties in this country, but some of them are with France, some are with uh, Russia, some are with British, uh, some are with Portugal, and some are with Spain. But the Lakota Treaty, our treaty, they call it the uh, Sioux Nation. Our treaty was directly with the United States of America, and Congress approved it, ratified it, and the President Grant signed it. So that's law. It's a legal living document that's still on the books today. But the uh, the DEA, I guess, I talked to one, and he said, we're just cops. He said, <laughs> they don't know nothing about treaty abrogation law. Well, where's the Solicitor General? Where's the U.S. Attorney in this whole equation? Some of them should know these laws that you just can't go violating treaties. You can't abrogate it. Only a Congress or the President of the United States can do that with cause. Right. But my understanding is that as long as you're operating under a, you know, a BIA um, federally recognized prisoner of war camp status, that that's what gives them um, uh, the ability, which is, you know, why as, as we've talked about and continue to talk about the reestablishment of pre-colonial contact, basically, um, government, you know, which is your Teoshpea, um, which is your yeah. matriarchal, which is, you know, and those are ongoing, um, an ongoing transformation. Right. It could be confusing to them because uh, many of our people were totally colonized. Actually, some of our tribal members are better Americans than the Americans themselves. But we, uh, some of us still maintain our matriarchal system and we live in our original ways where we all strive to be a good relative instead of just being a citizen. And so we, um, that, that, that's the difference, I think. I'd also just distinguish, you know, when you use, I mean, America or the Americas is, an, I believe is a, and I know you don't always like the word traditional, but that is a traditional name for, for Turtle Island, North and South. So I'd prefer to call them United States or, or yeah. something else and not let 
them have the word America. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, America is the second ship that first came here to our land. It's the second ship. Oh. And so they name America after. I thought it was the America's Empire, actually, um, before contact as well. Yeah. No, no, it was the Columbus came in the ship, and then the second one was the, uh, the uh, hold on, one second, called America, the ship America. Oh. So, uh, give me one minute, Lisa. I have to find sure. a key here. Okay. I'm on the radio. All right. Well, um, while Alex is looking for his key, we'll take a moment and listen to a song by uh, Tony Palmer and the breeze that I really love called uh, Red Man's Blues. And we'll be right back with Alex Whiteplume. It was all our people that died. You don't see no long list of feds and, and death squad members and any of these other people. You don't see any long list of their dead. You see a long list of our dead. And you look at that list and every one of them got a hit in the name. <laughs> All the promises ever 
Thanks for joining us, listeners, here on Earth Aid Now Radio with Alex Whiteplume. Uh, Alex, yeah. what is the relationship with hemp um, of the uh, Lakota Nation? 
Uh, in Lakota, the definition for hemp or marijuana, there, there shouldn't be no separation. It's called wahuptaska prejuta, which makes reference to the white root medicine. It's got prejuta, means medicine. So to us, uh, it, it must have been used by some of the uh, um, spiritual leaders in the past for some purpose because we know it heals cancer and it helps with epilepsy and and it helps with stress so um our relationship if it's we have a word for it then it's it's been with us forever since our origin which was way before contact um and hemp is not to be grown by marijuana I mean, as far as... Right, yeah. Hemp is the original plant, so it'll, it'll decrease the uh, THC, the uh, product that gets you high. Uh, the first year and the second year, bring it down by half, and then the third year, a marijuana plant will become hemp. So a hemp is a strong plant. It's the original plant. So you've had some uh, interesting allies over the years i'm um tell me about the hempsters and yeah i have uh, some great allies in kentucky i like the kentucky boys man they really jumped into hemp in a big way and there's more money to be made in hemp than it is with the recreational drug marijuana so we uh but we want to use the byproducts for the medicinal purposes the real medicinal purpose not just get high. Although I admit uh, the THC marijuana does help with uh, soldiers that came back from war. It helps them deal with the stress. Uh, industrial hemp is kind of a word that people look at as like it's something cheap, something way at the bottom of the barrel. So um, um, this fall, when Kentucky harvests their seeds, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to rename hemp. I'm going to give it a Lakota word. So I'm looking forward to doing that. I have allies in Colorado and, and in Washington State. Um, whenever we, uh, with my allies uh, that were following this, they uh, stood by me. And, and the ones that started with hemp with me are all millionaires today. But here I am. I'm still standing on the sidelines watching all this uh, production of hemp take place all around me. So where... Where has hemp been planted now in the uh, on Turtle Island? Um, in Oregon, they uh, there's a hemp farm, and uh, there's also in Kentucky, um, Vermont just legalized hemp. Uh, uh, Colorado legalized hemp in a big way. Uh, a little bit of history was when the state of Colorado legalized uh, marijuana. And uh, Washington State legalized marijuana. The Deputy U.S. Attorney Cole issued a memorandum outlining eight, uh, uh, I, I don't know what to call them, eight uh, enforcement something. That, and these eight issues, if they meet those, then it's okay. To, they won't bother the states. And, and they're real simple. One of them was preventing distribution to minors. Uh, another one was no marijuana sales be going to a criminal enterprise. And um, I can't remember all of them, but the uh, no violence and uh, no firearms and uh, uh, no drug driving. And um, uh, anyway, that's most of them. 
So Cole issued that memo, and then there was a, a Indian liaison with the DEA called Wilkinson. So Wilkinson issued a memo to all U.S. attorneys and Indian reservations that your sovereign nations, you can grow marijuana. It doesn't didn't make no reference to hemp. And um, way back in 2000, when we first started growing, uh, I tried to get a DEA permit. But the DEA permit, it cost $855 non-refundable deposit for an application. But uh, no hemp licenses have ever been issued from the DEA. So uh, we researched that, and to us, $800 is, geez, that's several months worth of light bills and propane bills and food. We just couldn't afford to throw it that much money away. And plus, I got a, I got a glimpse of the application, and there's 55 drugs on there, the class one, and marijuana's on there, but there's no reference to hemp on there. So to us, the DEA permitting process just uh, doesn't fit the bill. But with our tribe separating it, uh, and with that farm bill, uh, today our strategy is that we're going to parallel that farm bill since the tribes have been left out of it, and uh, we have to set our own path. So while uh, we're going to parallel that farm bill and follow those eight recommendations that the coal memorandum issued, and uh, we're going to see what happens. Uh, there's eight families right now here on the Pine Ridge Reservation that have put hemp seeds in the ground. And so we're waiting for a beautiful harvest. Uh, one of the things we've been working diligently on was to do the harvest ceremony when you plant something and the harvest to take that plant and to utilize it you tell them what it's for and and it's a real gentle beautiful real sophisticated ritual that way we're just anxious to do so uh this year we're going to finally do that uh in may 7th 2015 our tribal chairman, President John Steele, wrote a letter to the U.S. attorney and asking him for support and assistance to help us get permits so we can grow hemp. Well, I checked last week because I know I was going to talk with you today, and there was no response from the U.S. attorney to our tribal president's request for, wow. for assistance to get us a permit so we can grow industrial hemp. So wow. to me, that says the U.S. attorney says, well, they're legal. They're good. They're, they're just let them go. Otherwise, he would have showed concern and said, "No, you can't. You have to go here. You have to do this." But with no response from them, so uh, uh, people ask me, "Is it legal?" So I tell them, "Say, well, they didn't respond to anything we asked of them. Um, they didn't throw me in jail. Uh, as far as I could tell, it's uh, not not a risk." So um, we'll see what happens. And it's not just me this year. There's eight other big families that will be um, put under the same situation. Beautiful, beautiful. So from planting to harvest, how, how long is the growing season? The average is 100 days, just three months, and um, three and a half months. Um, we, are, we like to go 120 days till the seeds are ripe where they're easy to harvest. Um, that first year we brought the one of my grand, great granddaughters had a little swimming pool, or little plastic ones, uh -huh. and and so we borrowed it from her, and we uh, put our stalks in there, and that's how we collected seeds in that in my yard. So around my yard, I got hemp growing everywhere. <laughs> they just take off and they won't stop. So uh, 
our seed, as a result of 17 years of the restraining order, my seeds are still here. They're still viable. And I couldn't touch them. I just had to watch them fall down. So some of them um, have to be maybe a little bit higher level than THC that we want. So we have to um, pilot project. I guess we have to experiment. And my strategy is that we're going to kill all the male plants this year and just let the females seed out. And this will lower the THC level. And next year we get back to, we want 7% CBD and, and, and 1% THC. That's a good combination for epilepsy and, and oh. ca- cancer and whatnot. So that's our goal this year. You know, I, um, listeners, I was fortunate to uh, get to visit in person with Alex not too long ago on my way up to Standing Rock to Fort Yates. And Alex, I was out in the front, and a couple of the horses were in the yard. And I was amazed because they were very carefully eating the grass and leaving the hemp plants. They were excellent lawnmowers. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have you know, a lawnmower, that's, so that's, that's how, that's how yeah. I keep my yard clean. <laughs> yeah, but is it because the hemp is bitter? Or are they just super conscious? Actually, when the hemp first starts growing, it's sweet. So they eat them when they first come out. But after they grow about five, six inches, uh, that little bit of THC, that THC really stinks. It smells like skunk, you know. So uh, they don't like it after that, so they're safe. The only thing that um, we worry about is the birds. They come here and they have a big powwow and feast, and they just Uh eat the hemp seeds up. up. And then they go and they... uh, uh, drop it someplace else, and more hemp's just growing all along the creek. So the birds are on our side; they're helping us. So, have you been able to eat your um, your hemp seeds then at all? Or I mean, um, yes, yes. Uh, we actually, um, I actually, one time I had a uh, three strokes and a heart attack, and I was bedridden for two years. And uh, we made some of that CBD medicine from my hemp plants yeah. in my yard. And uh, within three months, I was out of bed, and, and within six months, I'm back to my full self again. So I believe in this medicine. It's, it's going to help the people. It's, uh, I, I believe in it wholeheartedly. Do you ever juice your leaves? Have yeah, you the, uh, the, the, the CBD is made from the leaves. That's where the CBD medicine is. And then the stock is where you get the fibers, and you could make it biofuel from it. Or you could chip it up and um, run it through a pellet machine and you could use it for firewood in the winter there's just so many oh, options available to i'm us. just so excited i know uh-huh. i had um the folks from up in canada who've been making hempcrete uh-huh. uh, as guests on the program a few months ago uh-huh. and you know the idea that we have to import hemp fiber uh-huh. yeah to you know because it's an excellent building material Oh, exactly. Uh, I built the first hemp house in America, but I had to import in my hemp crete from London. Uh, and and so it's, and my daughter's living in the house, and she just loves it. She does video, and the walls are thick, so the house is just quiet, so she, she won't get no interference from the outside. And in the winter, she all she has is a wood stove, 
and that wood stove warms up the walls and they go to sleep at night they wake up in the morning it's still warm and then in the summertime it just cool all summer because we have extreme heat in the summer and extreme cold in the winter there's no beating living in a hemp house and that's this summer uh with what stocks that are left i'm going to chip it up and i'm going to build myself another uh my final house and then that's my goal this year and i want to prove that you can take three acres of hemp and build a house with it and, well, and that house is uh-huh. and then you add that you know hemp panels i mean yeah. it's uh you know it's so much better than sheetrock you, yeah. you know which, which is toxic exactly the house i live in now is uh, i imported in hemp insulation from germany from Karlsruhe, germany uh-huh. And and I love my house. It's warm in the winter and it's cool in the summer, and it doesn't have that real poisoned fiberglass that floats through the air and you breathe it in and it causes cancer. It's all natural, uh, and yeah. and it's fire retardant. It 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 will put fire out. Uh, insulation. Yeah. So uh, I I just it's, believe it's in it. It's a negative um, carbon footprint. Right. Um, right. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So. Um, standing silent nation what does that refer to that was the struggle that they put us through after we put in our plants and it, it, like I said this was a family venture the entire family uh, my grandson was five years old and he was planting hemp <laughs> and, and he was just shocked when we seen all these police officers come here the marshals with their guns and there was two airplanes and a helicopter came to eradicate us that kind of frightened the the whole community and i have an auntie she was she was elderly she was 93 years old and she came and she was worried because one of those airplanes would fly over us and there's this huge hill and that airplane would barely climb over that hill so she was more worried about those agents uh and me going to jail over hemp, that was kind of funny, you know. <laughs> did, you, did you spend time in jail? No. The uh, After they, they sent my plants to test, it came back non-applicable for a drug. It didn't meet the definition of a drug, so they couldn't uh, arrest me. The U.S. attorney didn't have a case. So I never got thrown in jail, just the the... the Force the way they came in was just the scary part. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we advocate here at Earth Aid now is sustainable community. And Alex, will you tell people about all the all the things actually that that go on um, in your community? I mean, it's pretty amazing. Uh huh. Yeah, we have a we built our own park and. Uh, we have uh, ceremonies there. We have graduation dances. We have concerts. Uh, we hooked up electricity so bands can hook up their um, things. And um, and we have a lot of positive, negative, no negative uh, issues here in our in our family. It's against the law for a man to hate a woman or cause tension to women. So we don't. Uh, our women are sovereign. They're matriarchs. The real strong women, and and there's no drinking, drunking going on. Um, it, it's just a real beautiful community, and and we have all these good events that are positive. But uh, every time somebody does a sh- 
show or video about Indian people. They show white clay or uh, yeah. drunks laying in the streets, and they never come out here and show none of the positive things that takes place here that keeps us happy, that keeps us sane. And we teach our children. Uh, uh, my wife, she does the star knowledge, and uh, she also teaches them all the plant life, how to use different plants for medicine and different uh, ways to live without going to the store and buying everything. Uh, we make some of our own foods here, so we uh, we just love it. We're just happy in our community in spite of the raw poverty. Uh, we all help each other. So, yeah, we have a lot of positive things going on. Our next event is uh, on June 23rd. We have our summer. It's a hemp day. It's a summer. This summer we're having a hemp day, and many tribes from across the United States are coming down here to see where we planted hemp and actually see some of the volunteers that are still growing. And uh, we're going to start a, a Lakota hemp council or hemp committee or something so that that that, that meeting is going to take place on the 23rd of this month and then on the 24th is the summer songs of resistance uh our whole family was up at standing rock and uh, we also defeated keystone the first go round that was yeah. started from our family so um the kids they they come down here and do poetry they do rap some sing songs uh, it's going to be a beautiful night. And then ev each year, this will be our 20th year or 25th year, we uh, we we have a Victory Day celebration. Uh, we celebrate uh, rubbing out Custer at the Little Bighorn. And in our family, it's against the law to brag. You know, we have to be humble. Oh, it's hard sometimes. But on this Victory Day, it's legal to brag. So, oh, we brag something awful, you know. <laughs> and what day is that? What day is that, Alex? On June 25th at Kisa Park, I invite all my friends and relatives and the listening audience, if you're not doing anything, you want to have fun, come down here and, and listen to us tell the real story about what Custer did, because the history written down about him is totally false today. It just brags him up like he's a god or something, but it wasn't really like that. Well, tell you, us you know, some real history Well. Well, well, Custer was a rapist. He he raped lots of women, and he's not really that strong Christian the way they make him believe. And uh, when he came shooting down that hill at the Little Bighorn, um, that was after the fifth day after we had our annual Sundance ritual. And when you dance for four days a night without food and water, you're weak. And that's when he chose to attack. And the first line of defense was, uh, our young children, by the age time they're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, they're taught how to shoot bow and arrows with blunt tips. And so the kids were all along the river practicing when the cavalry came, and they don't realize that the Little Bighorn River floats 55 miles an hour. When you mm -hmm. jump in, you're going to take off down the river, you know. So the kids were shooting some of the cavalry and caused them to drown, you know, and they don't tell that in the real history. The first role when he charged into our camp. So these are some of the things that we share over the microphone so people can understand our point of view of history because it was us who rubbed out Custer. And it was the Oglalas. We were the largest band and we had the largest encampment. And at the Little Bighorn Camp, there was only about 900 people in the whole camp, not 10,000 like the uh, uh, Custer bus put out there. There was only 900 of us there. And, and there was only, I think, 65 Arapahoes and I think 115 Cheyennes. The rest were all Oglalas and, and Hunkpapas and Hukwoju. 
So it was all Lakota people there. So we, we shared the real history of it that's not written down by anybody because we believe in oral history. You got to use your mind to recall past and recall um, words and recall ways to live. So uh, these are some of the stories that we share. And um, it's, it's really beautiful to hear elders stand up and, and share their, their, their great grandpa's side of the little. Yes. So if listeners want to learn more um, about participating, is, is there somewhere uh, to get information? Is there a website? Is there something on Facebook? Uh, it might be on Facebook, but most of us, we just share it verbally when the time comes. And so okay. pe- people want to just come here, they should, they should come in. And um, we don't charge people for attendance. But we charge cars, $10 a car, because they kill our grass. So yes. the cars all have to pay, but it's free for everybody else. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, now, hemp also has, growing hemp helps with um, lessening radiation impacts, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I uh, I think they're going to start doing that in Japan. Japan really uh, destroyed the whole world practically, and I think they should look at that carefully. And now is the time to move. No more uranium mining. No more making nuclear weapons. Christ, they have stockpiles for 500 years. Why do they want to keep mining uranium? And they destroy and, uh, our aquifers. They, they, they destroy them and they interrupt them. So today, we're getting huge amounts of um, diabetes on the Pine Ridge Reservation. And that diabetes is caused from us drinking heavy metals in our water that started from the Crawford, Nebraska, the Crow Butte uranium mine. So we want that to stop. We want them to, Kamiko, to go away. Go, don't do it in our area because the Oglala Aquifer is still the purest aquifer to drink water from practically around the whole world. Well, tell us about um, your and, um, and your wife Deborah's work in, um, in stopping that. Yeah, 22 years ago, um, we found the heavy metals in our water. My wife sat down and she started reading some water reports and started researching. And uh, she held a meeting with the family saying, I'm going to work on this stop in uranium and it's going to take me 25 years. That's how much she committed. And and so far it's been 22 years. And and at at 20 years ago, Crow Butte was trying to expand. They call it uh, Crow Butte. Two and Crow Butte three, where they're going to expand their operations. But since my wife started, they have never dug one shovel full of dirt. We put a stop to it, and we're waiting for the prices of uranium to go down so we could put Kamiko out of business, let them put themselves out of business. So uh, she still has a few years left, and uh, she's been winning all her, all her contentions in federal court well, in front of the U.S. Uh, uh, Environmental Protection Agency and the uh, so she's been doing real strong, and she's just a common person. She's not a lawyer, but she's representing herself. And that in itself is historical because they never allow common people to represent themselves. You have to be a full-fledged attorney, certified and, yeah. and in a bar. But they allowed her to defend us 
at the uranium mine hearings? Well, it's very beneficial because the the word amongst um, my friends is generally bar registered attorneys are all working for the Crown and the Vatican. So it, after a certain point, it's really hard to get them to take the kinds of stands that need to be taken because at a certain point it's, you know, it's treason. It's like when I was up at Standing Rock and I was so thrilled uh, to be able to uh, witness um, Prolific the Rapper, um, his defense, and Daniel Sheehan, who is, you know, um, Lakota Law Project, and the attorney who uh, has been working so diligently to help eradicate the doctrine of discovery. And I believe, wasn't he the Pentagon Papers lawyer uh, back in the Nixon era? Yeah, and yeah, he I, know was. I, I said to Daniel, it's so nice that he's managed to keep his integrity despite right. being a registered bar attorney. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, he so, was shocked at the state of our affairs, the way the South Dakota was taking our children without any due process. And so um, I'm really appreciative of Daniel Sheehan, too. He, I, he I was a godsend too. to us. I am, too. He, mm-hmm. he had... Uh, he and his assistant, Artie, um, I got to sit next to both of them. Yeah. And, uh, yes, good people. Uh-huh. Good people. Yeah. So tell us more about um, your your family and, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is Lakota land. Um, and the, um, you know, what your family has seen across time, what it was like and what is now and where you hope to see things, you know, in the future. Well, some of the things I'm really happy for was in 1952, Congress passed the act where we were no longer wards of the government, that we're sovereign nations, 1952. So, and then in 1968 was when the first time they recognized our language. And in 1978, when Nixon was president, that's when we were recognized and allowed to do our rituals and our ceremonial ways. So uh, we're just now bringing them all back where our rituals are. All seven of our ceremonies today are intact. They're being used. They're being practiced every day. Uh, We're bringing our language back. Our language almost became extinct. And the reason I know that was the uh, Roman Catholic Church, when an indigenous group is becoming extinct, they'll send one of the Jesuits into that community and they write a, 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 a dictionary in that and that happened to us in 1970, but we're stubborn Lakota people. We're going to always be here. So our language is we're, we're bringing it back any way we can. And we even use bilingual uh, methods sometimes to do it. But, yeah, we're going to be here for a long time. We look out today when I make a decision, I just can't make it 
because of today, I have to look into the future, seven generations, and then base my decision on how that's going to be. So it's not easy making decisions. When we take an act, uh, it's got to be an act that re- will be here to persevere and yes. protect, and it's going to be long-term. Yes. Now, a few words. The word tribe. Is, is there a problem with that word? Oh, what yes. That word actually <laughs> yeah, America bum-wrapped us. They gave us their name. Uh, tribe is reference to the Viking tribe, the Baltics, the Celtics. Uh, they were the original tribes, uh, Roman tribes. And, and But when they came here, they labeled us uh, tribes. And many of our people are um, going along with it, but we don't like that word tribe. We're kinship. That's what we believe in is kinship, which means you have to be a good relative. And plus, if you look in the dictionary for the word tribe, it means a pack of wild dogs. <laughs> I guess if I was a dog, I'd rather be a Rottweiler or something. But that doesn't, that doesn't meet the definition of what we are, who we are. So we don't like that word. Yeah, there's many words that are really uh, negative in our culture, and that's one of them. And um, another word that's really awful is human. People use that word human, and and but if you look in the Black's Law Dictionary and look up the word human, it means sea monster. And so then you look in the dictionary for what sea monster means. It means people that cannot own property. That's the word for humans. And everybody's saying we're humans. Human rights. You're saying, I'm a sea monster. Sea monster rights. You shouldn't own property, yet you're owning everything. So uh, those those words, they don't make sense to us, and uh, we don't like using them. And you also said something to me about um, what do you think with. Everybody says they think with their brain. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. The educational system is they uh, trick people into thinking they have a brain, and with that brain, what that causes you to do is you're superior to all else. Everything is subordinate to you. So you can destroy the earth, you can destroy the grasses, you can destroy the water. Uh, the brain teaches you to have a tunnel vision where you just see a small part of life. And usually at the end of that tunnel, there's dollar bill signs. <laughs> but when you got a Lakota, our word, for what white man calls a brain, we call it nasu, nasu. And what nasu interprets into is the seed. We're no different from any living element in this world. We're no different from the trees, the grasses. Everything grows from a seed, including us. We come from a seed. So when you say you have a brain, you separate yourself from all living elements around the world. And, and that causes you to have that tunnel vision. So I always encourage people, try to put yourself into a position where you're a seed. And, and I'm strong, I'm huge, I'm 230 pounds, and I got muscles, and I could you know, do just practically about everything. But the nasu is the most powerful. It's stronger than muscles, it's stronger than iron, it's stronger than everything. Because that's what causes us to exist and to live. And then the nasu, it's the shape of a pine cone. And that's where we uh, get all our thoughts and feelings from. So the scientists looked at that shape of that pine cone. All it had in it was water. 
People need to give water credibility. Water teaches us compassion. It teaches us love. It teaches us to be good people. We got to give water that credibility. It doesn't come from the brain. One example was uh, several years ago at our annual Sundance rituals, one of my nephews, his girlfriend left him and oh, she was pretty and he was just heartbroken. And, and we were just having fun and everybody was into the ceremony, but he was just quiet and, Finally, he spoke, and he says, my heart is broken, he said. <laughs> oh, we had a laughing spell, and we're just, trying to, <laughs> we're just trying to visualize a heart breaking, you know. It's just not uh-huh. possible because that's a strong organ in our body, you know. It, doesn't, it just can't be broken, you know. So, but what he meant was he was feeling bad, his, and, and his seed was feeling sad from a, a broken relationship, you know. <laughs> So there's a big difference in our, our language and what we see in, in a worldview than what a brain would teach you. If you use a brain, then, like I said, you're not really going to be a good citizen. Um, and that's another word, isn't it, citizen? Um, yeah. Well, let's just theorize for a minute. You know, we we talk about... or. I know in my guests and I, you know, we talk about savage sovereignty, those who live amongst the trees. And we talk about the fact that uh, all of Turtle Island, north and south, is, uh, for lack of a better word, Indian land. And can we talk about why it might be beneficial for the authority, so to speak, over the land to return to Biochetti um, Sakowin and the unif- unified nations. What what positive uh, future could that bring? Would you think? I think. I think we're going to be natural. It's only natural that life givers are superior to us male. And, and, and that's, I'm talking about the females. And, and they have to stand up and become sovereign matriarchs. And they have to make decisions. And us men have to accept that decision. And then we can enforce it. And in this manner, we can make a better way of life. Um, I work with the treaty elders. I worked for Chief Red Cloud for 15 years. And, and one of the questions was, what are we going to do if we got all five states back? The treaty, 1851 treaty, was honored, and they returned all five states back to us. What are we going to do? We have too many white people living in our treaty territory. Well, we just didn't want to kick them out, you know, and throw them off our land. We just couldn't do that because we're not that kind of people. We're compassionate people. Mm-hmm. So we came up with a plan, and we said, maybe um, we'll... Um, have them, we're going to start a Washichu tax or a non-Indian tax for living in our territory. And, um, well, and then the other thing is they have to speak our language. And in yeah. this manner, they can understand how we feel. They'll feel our pain. They'll feel our love. They'll feel our happiness. They'll be just like us. I had an idea that we ought to start Lakota Karaoke. Take everybody's favorite songs and uh-huh. translate them, and that that would be a really fun way to help everyone 
yeah, start yeah. learning the language. Wouldn't that be fun? Oh, our language is kinship, so it's beautiful. There's there's no bad words. The worst you could say to somebody is, you're no good. <laughs> oh, that hurts bad, you know, somebody tells you that, you know. <laughs> well, and, you know, so I understand that uh, Lakota actually was, that the these boundaries on maps are artificial and that the dialect was spoken all the way down in Peru. So, you know, yeah. and that in 408 AD, when the treaty with, uh, when the Romans surrendered to the Goths, uh-huh. that the representative of the Americas empire was there and that it was a Dakota chief representing a Dakota, uh, clan mother who yeah. was over, you know, both North and South America. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. I think the true history needs to be shared because our history as Lakota people, uh, there's only six wars in our entire existence, six of them. And on the battle of the little bighorn didn't even meet the definition of one of our wars. But in these six wars, what happened was we, uh, established ourselves our territory was recognized and what we did was hunka is a it's kind of adoption don't um meet the definition of it but it's similar to adoption we include a tribe into our ways they they speak our language and in this manner they can practice our ceremonies with the white buffalo calf pipe ways and there's 30 different nationalities, tribal nationalities that we hunkad, that we lived in this whole Midwest and we live in peace because the whole word for Lakota, la is the word for love or compassion. Ko means to include. Da means towards the ancient ways. Love each other together towards the ancient ways. That's the literal interpretation of Lakota. So we, um, we weren't really those bloodthirsty savages hiding behind every bush and well, they're going to jump out and kill the man. And savage is actually a compliment. It means those who live amongst the trees. And it is a, to my understanding, it is a word with international law status that is ascribed to a sovereign signatory Indian. So it's actually a compliment. Yeah, I have, a, I have a brother-in-law says he's a savage after it gets dark, but his I, wife always I, glares at him. <laughs> I, you know, and that barbarian is a word of power for the other, uh-huh. for, you know, the other uh, root races. Right. But, yeah, I'm, you know, um, savage is a good word. Um, so it's uh, it's coming up on uh, Sundance, isn't it? Yeah, it is. The Sundance is one of our origins uh, where we made an agreement with the buffalo. The buffalo let us live, so we pay tribute to that agreement. And a Sundance is just basically coming and telling the buffalo, we made an agreement millions of years ago, and I'm here to keep my word. And then we spill blood because the buffalo blood and the Lakota blood is the same. There's no difference. So uh, that's what Sundance is all about. It's one of our original uh, rituals that we have to go through as male. So I live over here, you know, not too far from Wind Cave, and would you mind speaking a little bit about the difference between, I know that 
in Lakota and star knowledge that the constellations are are different and that mm-hmm. they actually correspond to real places on on the ground here uh-huh. in the sacred Black Hills. I'd like to share the wind cave, but it's going to take a long time. And hello, are you still there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Uh, I don't want to do it in just a few minutes on the radio show. Well, you but, still but, have uh, 45 minutes. Uh-huh. Our, our origin started from there when we came back above the ground. And one of the origin stories tells about way deep in the water that the fire, we call it ile, ilecha. It's so hot that it even burns rocks and turns rock into water-like substance. And that smoke that was from that burning came up into the water. And from the water, it created different life that where we could have all come from. But once that smoke passed the water and came into the air, that's when we came out of Wind Cave because that smoke from the burning of deep in Mother Earth came above ground. And then after that, we call fire pcheta. Pcheta is like your forehead. The fire came up to the forehead of Mother Earth. And with that fire, it doesn't come from the sun. Sun does not provide fire. The sun provides us so we could see colors, different colors. Lakota, when we say uh, sun, we say we oweya, the colors, the rays of the sun. So the sun allows us to see different colors, but the uh, fire comes from deep within Mother Earth. So we got to pay tribute to deep within Mother Earth and and hope that she doesn't never burn the whole world up so none of us could live here. Uh, it's because of that smoke, the fire generated, that allows us to live today. And these are in our origin stories. So um, I really love our Lakota philosophy and our Lakota belief. And, and uh, we know the real origin of our people. Uh, it doesn't take a hypothesis from a scientist. If they can't feel that hypothesis, then they don't tell the people what they found. So uh, we have a way different way of thinking and feeling and understanding how to live on this earth. But uh, Lisa, I have to leave you here soon. I've got a whole bunch of company that just came in, and we're getting ready to plan plan our uh, June 25th racing event. So. Okay. And they're all sitting okay. here listening to me too, but I know they're anxious to get started with a meeting. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that, um, let's see, what are we going to listen? Oh, I think we're going to uh, listen to an interview, part of an interview I did with uh, Victor Duville. Oh, uh, this good. Star knowledge. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, I will look forward to, uh, if not sooner, seeing you on the 23rd, but probably before then. Oh, it would be good to see you, Lisa. It would be great to see you. And uh, thanks to all of the kin there Uh for for joining us as well. I'd like to say goodbye to all my relatives if I can. Uh, <laughs> 
Thank you for helping me to become a warrior. And now we're going to listen to a portion of a conversation that I had with uh, Professor Victor Duville, who teaches Lakota star knowledge and uh... so is that how to help the other communities, how to help Pine Ridge, how to yeah. I mean how to how to help Wounded Knee, how to yeah. restore the traditional government. Yeah, that uh, something that really needed. Uh, I've got this one, this one, I, uh, it's the story of the land. The term Makochi comes from the word Maka Ochaje, and in turn it's derived from Uchi Maka Ochaje Oti. And that is where that comes from. So you see that uh, Makochi, this this over here, uh, that taken up. So the language itself is, uh, we should go back to, uh, we, uh, we tend to contrast the words, make them small, compress them. If we're able to extend the, uh, that and that, and then we try to find out the true meanings of, of those words. So that Makoche really, uh, it comes from the Uti Maka Ochaje, which means a lineage trace on the women's side. That's what I mean. So it, uh, so that uh, met that. As we lost the clan system, then that went away. We were stuck with just the Makoche. But I do have the, uh, this Iyankaha is the creation rock, which the, the story of, uh, the story of how, uh, in the beginning, there was nothing. And uh, 
spiritual powers. So it's interesting that uh, Lakota and other Native Americans, the, the way the, the, the world and universe are created, uh, it matched scientifically and even better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the things, uh, plants usually gave their lives to create that resource for us to live on. But they're really, uh, and then the Europeans, they had pillars of the uh, God of Eden. It's really interesting because uh, I got a friend that wrote this book called uh, Sacred Circles. And uh, he showed me that uh, in the sky where God of Eden was, and on earth where that also was. And he said, you know, they, there's a gate there. And we call it our Stargate. That is where people come on that is called the Eden, that circle. And uh, when the humans uh, try to get more knowledge of God, and they had the apple, and they were kicked out of paradise. He said that uh, Angel Gabriel guarded that gateway with this magic sword. But he said the Indians found another way in there, uh, in the paradise. Which they created, and then they created the Makoti about that same idea. So he showed where that was and how that happened. So it, uh, that's the same area where the, the, the uh, Milky Way goes through that, and that's a gateway where you go to heaven. So, so I got that too. Uh, Age of Discovery, uh, and the Pope. Uh, is the one that began to dictate. It's and all the churches are still yeah. under the Pope, yeah, yeah. even though they think they're not. Yeah, they're not. They still have a, a, a lead one there that controls everything. Mm-hmm. But the Pope is one that, that uh, in order for the emperors to, to, to get the emperorship, they had to go to the Pope to get it, to get the blessing, because they, had, they were the next king to God. So we get the divine right of kings, of course, not that concept. But these two people are the ones that set the course where the, the tribes didn't make use of land the way Europeans did, therefore they cannot own land, they're slave slaves. That is these two. Because the Pope gave them that, the okay to do that. So, but that translates that God didn't intend to do it that way. Their God, whatever their God was. But it, uh, a lot of the stuff uh, we teach here, uh, this idea of colonialism, <laughs> and it, this movie really uh, got me into that crocodile bunny, the movie they had, the same as what we thought, the Aboriginal stuff. He said, uh, who owns this land? That woman said that. So he said, no, we don't own it. It's the, the animals. It's like a flea on a dog. Two fleas are fighting ownership of that. He said, they don't want a dog on anybody. So uh, the earth itself, you know, uh, we're just so small in that world, we can't control it. So, uh, so really nobody owns it, just the entity there owns it. Owns you, you don't realize it. Owns you, you don't own it. But that's what they're doing. They're going to discover a new world and uh, claim it for themselves in the name of God. And 
But they already knew about it. I mean, they ciphered Columbus as a pirate. Columbus had maps of where he was going. It was all a big lie. So all these wound up in court, which might make rights, you know, the divine rights of keys, all that. I found out about that. uh, The government came and took the black hair, they suicide line for unseated man. That unseated would translate not be given up, but it has a different context of law. Unseated means development of land for the government. That's what it means. And that's, um, now these, the terms that used were not, uh, the hoodwinkers. So they believe in that. Uh, they're not, that's not true. So, 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 of course, we fought wars with the government. And how they divided the land. You know, listen to, when I went to the army, when the, I got drafted in uh, 1961, 64, I said, I don't want to go to Vietnam. So that guy said, You want to go to Vietnam? I said, What do I do? Well, there's four areas you can go into one of the military intelligence. If you hold high, uh, Clearing rate system that you, you won't send into a combat zone. So, because I had college, I got into immunitary intelligence and I made maps. And I was astounded because the United States had already uh, had already uh, made all the lands into these grids. And they used, uh, in the rough lands, they used uh, wheels, wagon wheels to measure the distance. So flat, that looks like that, but when you get into how they, they measured it, and each one of these, they had, uh, each one of these uh, had the four corners, they had, uh, uh, they drove uh, plates in, head plates, uh, brass. And that's where the, uh, where they had these wagon wheels. If you put a GPS on it, it's going to be off a bit. So we lost a lot of land in Nebraska, in South Dakota. And how that Ogallala got away with it, they got a track of land in Nebraska, which uh, in 1867, when uh, Nebraska became law, said no land on the reservation. And yet they was there, so they got that white clay. So, so when I was in the Army, I, I studied that. Uh, military intelligence, I uh, made maps and uh, showed um, all the military people in there. So when I got back and started teaching, I was able to make maps. I probably built those and put together. Uh, so how are we going to win, Professor? Mm-hmm. How are we going to win? How are we going to win? Yeah. We're going to win by knowledge. by knowledge. That's the only way we can do by knowledge. Traditional knowledge is the only way you can win. In the end, we have these claims here that if we can clear the the, the field out there when the Pope says these are invalid then we go back on equal plane same plane with the uh, with Anglo-Saxon laws and we could win because the third world countries and uh, they've already acknowledged that we own black kids so we'll be able to get on same footing with them be able to get that but, uh, <clears throat> this is what we want to do is put our markers 
from each corner showing that we had the original that we, we managed. We didn't own it, but we managed it. And that belongs to our... Mary's Quinn said the same dialect, that it it wasn't based on lines on yeah, a map. Yeah, yeah. It was by dialect, and yeah. that the dialect is spoken in Peru. Yeah. So Lakota yeah. is actually way bigger than... Yeah, yeah. in competition, that, that's quite a bit, but the, what, what the government looked at, they regarded it that habitat area, not ownership. That is what we're now struggling with that idea. That, that we're going to put markers in and show the absolute uh, where you guys divide your lands. You said you cannot do that because the animals pull the bomb. Can't, can't mark the animals in. So that's a struggle that we're going to have to convince them, the public. That they're sitting on 40 grounds. And that, uh, that well, like Gary says, what are the problems? I mean, it's all these, like, John Birchers yeah. and yeah. white supremacists, yeah. and they're, you know, concerned. I mean, yeah. they're not going to want to give up. Yeah. And that's really what the, the government, when the treaties all included this idea that the cat land. We just give them the habitat, then we're going to work hard it up. So what they did is they, they wanted to know the blanket area where we were going to. Now the next stage they want to do is to, uh, to divide up that into treaties. And that's what they did. They carved out smaller lands. Eventually, uh, this thing, the whole area matched the scope of it. But they said we didn't own it because we didn't reside in it. You will reside in this area in all this hunting stuff. So that's how that treaty went, uh, 1568 is where they start. Well, Eagle says it's, it wasn't, the clan mothers were behind that yeah. Fort Laramie yeah. treaty, that yeah. it's not even yeah. a treaty, it's yeah. just a treatise. Yeah. So the idea was to create the Great Sioux Reservation, put all of our people in it. So uh, those were pioneers stayed out of it as long as they could. And they eventually, uh, with the killing of crazy horse, then they had to give up resistance in there. So those were moved seven times, trying to stay within this area, always inching back to that. So, so really, the uh, all these things that came in there, like that, the eventually, the reservation created. To, uh, the next thing was to put in the reservation, take all that, the land uh, outside there, and then. Targeting Rosebud came into four counties. They had already created the counties before the reservations. And they put them into county areas, and now they're going to go after each of these counties, which is the next step. So they, the Homestead Act came. And eventually, Rosebud wound up with the loss of all that. So they used to have all this, now we only have 33% control of interest. These 65 control of interest, 17%. So do you think these New World Order yeah. people had this planned all along? Yeah. You think they knew progressively yeah. what they were going to do before they even headed over here? Yeah, yeah. They, they projected that. <clears throat> and, uh, so in the end it hurt us. So this would be the uh, the, the BIA figures. But the figures itself would uh, kind of give us less of what... Uh, what we owned in our Todd County. This was the ultimate what we had, 3.3, and now we have this much. So it's a terrible reduction. 
in them. We're trying to figure out why South Dakota wanted that land. It was based on Emmett Hotel and the Pope's idea that we can make use of it so they can have it. That is what the, the bottom line was. You know. We said no to them that we don't give it up. They said you have to because uh, South Dakota has to become state. And they have to have a land base. And he said that that's our land and uh, you're not developing it. Sure, we are doing it, uh, sharing it with, with nature. So that was a final deal where they came with the law. So you could have to give that up because you're not using it. So we have two land figures. We have uh, the BIA and then the, the U.S. Trust Land. They're almost the same, but the acreage is. Uh, you see here in that, this is what we wound up with. So we, and the rule is that uh, each county, if it owns 50% is the guiding deal. If it owns 50%, it can still become reservation. If it goes below that, it reverts back to state. So somehow we have to reverse that uh, in dealing with that survey. Those but loses uh, 1,000 acres every decade. So the Todd County itself, uh, Todd County itself here, uh, it's, uh, Todd County itself is regards a closed uh, reservation because we lost that Canaveras uh, Rose Bowl tribe, in which uh, in which these counties are taken. Each one of them, they came and they said we're going to have to sell this. Uh, so we want this, we want that. Yeah. Because you have too much, you're not using it anyway, so we're going to take it. And then we're going to start selling it for homestead. And you read nothing we do. The tribal council said no. It, but they were weak, they were in house fighting among themselves. You pay attention to what's going on. They said no, but they, uh, but they didn't really press it. One thing about these acts, there in the law itself, it said that uh, they diminished the, uh, the acreage, but they did not give jurisdiction. They didn't say jurisdictions only. So we thought we could win that. They went to Oregon. Oregon had the same idea, but in theirs is that they, uh, when they relinquish the land, they also give the jurisdiction. So they used that against us. So nowhere in that law it said that we lost jurisdiction. We only lost the, uh, the amount of land that's in it. Never, never more. Than that. But, uh, but the interpretation Oregon clearly states that when they gave a territory up there, you did the same thing here. That's, uh, so we lost all that. All so is your wife that clan mother? What? Is your wife clan mother? Yeah. And that was portion of a conversation with Professor Victor Duville. And uh, I want to give a special shout-out and recognition to all the water protectors up in uh, Fort Gates. Uh, the Water Protector Film Festival is taking place at the Prairie Nights Casino. And just a quick report on my recent trip from uh, South Dakota and uh, the Pine Ridge 
area up to Fort Yates, Standing Rock, and special uh, thank you to uh, Red Clover for uh, hosting me at the Prairie Nights Casino when I was up there, and special thanks also to Phyllis Young and Distance Everhart and to uh, Scorch, and I have to say that it was a delight to get to be present for uh, Distance Everhart's case and to witness the dismissal of that case on First Amendment grounds. Glad to see that the First Amendment still carries some weight in U.S. courts. And also uh, happy to report that I got to be present for most of Uh, prolific the rappers uh, trial which was uh, excellent and uh, in which he was found not guilty for uh, operating a drone at uh, Sacred Stone at Ochetti's Falcon so much love to all those who are standing up to uh, protect our mutual Mother Earth and all our relations. And thank you for listening to the Earth Aid Now program today with our special guest, Alex Whiteplume. To become part of the Utopian Reality Slope Earth Aid Now mission, Contact White Buffalo Nation at gmail.com and visit earthaidnow.com and our White Buffalo Nation Facebook page and support the Slope mission at gofundme.com slash slope. Your contribution helps keep this mission going as we work to get solutions to all the people and life on Earth And we are starting a special fundraiser to help Alex Whiteplume and his family secure a tractor. And again, if you want more information on that, contact me, Siava Lisa Wolf at whitebuffalonation at gmail.com. We're going to close with uh, one of my favorite songs by Eostar Kamala called White Buffalo Calf Woman and special thanks to our sponsor Roland Thomas and his wife Linda of BioAge.com Super Blue Green Algae that helps eliminate radiation and heavy metal toxicity and helps you live the best day ever.
buffalo woman teach us how to walk in the ways of love white buffalo woman join the split feather together as one white buffalo woman purify our world retrieve the sacred pipe from the
together let's sustain life on planet Earth. That's yours, mine, and all of ours, on and in the land, waters, and air. Thanks for joining us. Till next time, this is Siava, Lisa Wolf for Slope. Save and sustain life on planet Earth, Earth Aid Now. Let's give the Earth and all her children freedom from fear, lack, and degradation. Ethiopian Reality Now. If you're taking one, two, five, or more nutritional supplements, please stop. Simplify your supplementation with Bio Superfood, the most advanced nutritional whole food supplement you can buy. Men, women, children, even Olympic athletes the world over have discovered Bio Superfood from BioAge.com. And now take just one nutritional supplement instead of many. The Bio Superfood formulas are whole food products composed with four of the most nutrient-dense algae found on Earth. Bio Superfood for the brain helps with focus, memory, clarity, and mood. If you can increase brain health, the rest of the body is a no-brainer. Bio Superfood has zero toxicity and is safe for you and your family. Make sure to read for free online the book that tells it all at awakeningthegeniuswithin.com and visit bioage.com backslash utopia or phone 877-288-9116 for more information and to order and Make sure to mention Utopia for a 15% discount. Thanks for joining us, Wopala and Doksha.